John 20, 24 to 31. Let's open in prayer. God, we just ask that you would be here today and help the words that we're going to um, hear, uh, the words that you have written in your book for us to comprehend. We'll just take on fire and light um, and burn in our souls and our hearts for a love for you. Amen. So, uh, yeah, Janie, I'm really having mic trouble today. I mean, with this thing. Is this better? Ah, how is that? Is that better down there? Is that better? Not right there? Okay. Don't move my head, right? Okay. I don't know if any of you have any experience with donkeys or not. They're cute. I know they're cute. They get this uh, re- uh, this uh, little bit of a reputation for being stubborn, though, which isn't true. It's not true. They're, they are misunderstood. And we're going to look at maybe, maybe uh, Thomas is a little bit misunderstood also today, okay, because he's got the rap for being this big doubter. But for the donkey to go someplace, he has to make sure it's safe. Okay, a horse, which isn't as smart as a donkey, will be more inclined to go if, um, if the herd is going or if, you're, if you have a good relationship and they're going. But a donkey, a lot depends on if it's okay to go in there. Okay, and if he's not sure, he's not going to go. Now, if, you, if the donkey knows you and you come alongside the little donkey and kind of put your arm on his neck here and say, it's okay, donkey, we can go in there. And he knows you, he would be more inclined to go with you, but there's no way in the world you're going to pull that donkey in there. There's great pictures of, you know, the guy with the sombrero pulling the donkey, right? (laughs) So, with that in mind... I think when we look at the skepticism of Thomas, I want us to see another side to what's going on, uh, a deeper understanding of Jesus and how he's relating and responding to Thomas. So our outline in your commentary has the skepticism of Thomas. 24. Now, Thomas was one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands and his marks, uh, hands the marks of the nails and the place my fingers in, to the marks of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Okay. A week ago, Jesus appeared to the 12, or to the 11. Thomas wasn't there. And, you know, he appeared within locked doors and stuff and everything. And there he was. And they kind of were assumed they'll all believe that he was, that he was raised from the dead. And he gives them peace and everything. Thomas was not there. So we have to ask our question, why wasn't Thomas there? Well, we don't really know why Thomas wasn't there. It could be just his personality. When people grieve, I mean, they had just witnessed the 
the crucifixion and all of them, including Thomas, had witnessed the, the torture, the, 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 uh, just the wounded, horrifically uh, tortured body of Christ, um, and the whole hanging on the cross and, and the, 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 the dying there and the, the sun going down and all the things that had happened around the crucifixion. And Thomas witnessed that too. <clears throat> if Thomas... was a personality that was maybe a little melancholic, <coughs> excuse me, a little melancholic, or if he was someone who just was having a hard time grieving, <clears throat> people grieve in different ways. Jesus had died. A lot of things were sad that day. And if he decided just to kind of go off on his own and grieve and don't be bothered by anybody, I understand that. There's no set way people grieve. It's individual to every single person. You can't say, well, why aren't you over that yet? I would be over that. Well, you don't know. People grieve in different ways. So he was grieving. Let's assume he was in deep grief because Jesus had just died. So he's by himself. He's grieving. What else do we know about Thomas, we know that his love for Jesus was so strong that he would rather die with Jesus than to live without him. And I think that's how I would understand that. Well, you know, if he's going to go to Jerusalem, then let us go with him. You know, I understand that to be Jesus saying, or Thomas saying, well, I don't want to live without him, so I'm just going to die with him. I, I take it that way. I don't take it as a sarcastic, well, hey, like, you know, Eeyore, who said, well, if we're going to die, we're going to die. <laughs> I get a lot of practice with poo people. So I honestly think that he couldn't imagine his life without Jesus. We also know that when Jesus said, I'm going to a place, you know, and you can hang out with me there, and it's like, oh, my gosh, where are you going? I don't know the way. He doesn't even want to have to be stuck trying to figure out where Jesus is. He can't comprehend life without Jesus. So here he is right after the, the crucifixion, and it's life without Jesus. And he is absolutely in the depths, crushed, crushed. He was afraid that he'd never find Jesus again. He'd never see Jesus again. He was heartbroken. So he isolates himself. He's lost in his despair. He separates himself from his friends. This is very common to do. There's nothing unusual about what's happening with Thomas here. But God, we like that phrase, don't we? But God is merciful and does not abandon us. And sorrow can be turned into self-pity if we spend too much time in it. So for whatever reason was happening in Thomas's life, God didn't abandon him to let him stay there. But Thomas came around. And a week later, we find Thomas has rejoined his friends in this room, behind locked doors again. Okay? The big point that we want to make out here is Jesus seeks out individuals. It's not just a group. This is a group of 12, and he dealt with them a lot of times like that. You know, he de deals with the nation of Israel, but he deals with individuals too. So there they are, in this locked room, 
Um, and unless I see him this way, then I'm just not going to just be, and it's because it's going to take a lot to be able to help him counteract what he just witnessed the week prior. Okay. So he demands more physical evidence. Okay. What, what is really hindering Thomas's lack of belief in the resurrection? He believed Jesus, he believed his teachings, he believed the miracles that he saw, but, but thinking that his, his Savior and Lord was alive, that was kind of too far out there, okay? He refused to believe all these reliable witnesses that were there, all these, you know, these men he had lived with, these, these women, these people that said, I've seen the Lord, I've seen him, I've seen him. You know what? He, that's, it just wouldn't even cut through what he, was, what he himself was dealing with. He wasn't going to take anybody's word for it because his hurt was so deep and the impact of the crucifixion was so strong. He refused to get his hopes up again just to have them crushed. We know what that's like. We've been hurt one time. Well, I'm going to guard my heart now because I'm never going to go there again. But in reality... Thomas wasn't much different than the others. If you think about it now, okay? I'm really going to bat for Thomas today. Didn't they too scoff at initial reports of the resurrection? When those women came back, they were in doubt. They didn't say, oh, okay, let's have a part. No, what did they do? They had to go check it out for themselves. Okay? They didn't believe the women. Peter who went with John and saw the empty tomb. We know this from Luke 24, 33 to 35, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Twice in Scripture, both Luke and Paul point out, that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So somewhere in there, on that day of resurrection, he appeared probably one-on-one with Peter. That's how this is understood here. Now, we're going to get more into Peter next week, but, but Peter was in pretty much a desperate place also because he had, he had betrayed Christ, you know, very strongly betrayed, denied Christ. Um, but, but it appears from these two verses that Jesus sought him out, sought Peter out. Because he had some special needs. Peter's doubt wasn't greater than the others. I believe his sorrow was greater. I believe his sorrow was deeper. I believe whatever was his personality was, whatever was going on, he was just in a different place. He maybe wanted to believe, but he desperately in his own mind said, there's just no way, I just need more evidence. Okay, now comes to mind, Mark 9, 24, the father of the demon-possessed boy. What does he say to Jesus when Jesus says, your, your son, you know, I'm going to heal your son. And he says what? I believe, help me with my unbelief. Two different words there. I believe, I want to believe, I want so much to believe that my son is healed. I want him to quit throwing himself into the fires and this, these demons that torture him and the seizures that he goes through. What a heartbreaking thing for a parent to watch that and not be able to help their child. This father desperately wanted to believe, but it would be, it was unheard of. There was nothing in the blueprint in his mind that could register, yes, 
this can happen. Your son can be, be healed. There's nothing in Thomas's blueprint in his mind that says, yes, I've experienced this. Jesus is raised. So help me with my unbelief. This is pretty much what Thomas was saying. It begs the question, how much evidence is enough? Really? How much evidence is enough for someone to believe? Or is faith to believe a gift from God? Right? With that in mind, let's take a look at one thing here. Jesus' feet. Jesus' feet. Thomas didn't say, let me see your feet. Thomas didn't say anything about his feet, did he? Okay? Um, But we know from... And the the feet aren't mentioned, the wounds of Jesus' feet aren't mentioned in any of the Gospels. Um, No piercing of his feet. Hands pierced, probably through here is pierced. This is considered the hand to here. So it'd have to be a stronger bone through here. But it doesn't say his feet were pierced. What they usually did when they crucified was they would pierce there, but they would wrap tie rope around ankles so there'd be rope burns there horrid rope burns probably that they would have them on there there were wounds there and in luke 24 39 jesus says to them see my hands and see my feet but there's no piercing okay so now that we just pulled that new maybe some of you it's not new information out of scripture that there was no piercing. They didn't nail his feet to the cross. Does that change your belief that he rose? No. So there's no amount, there's no magical, there's no exact details. We've got to have it just like this, whatever, and have all the details that are, is going to add to or subtract from our belief that he, he was truly resurrected, okay? It is... Our first calling, where our minds are opened up and our heart is quickened, where Jesus calls us, that is an act of God, and our continued faith is an act of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's no boasting in heaven. So our initial salvation is because of of God's call, and our continued walk through our life is because God's calling us. What makes any of us a stronger Christian than any of the others in, in this room is how much you get into the word of God, how much you let God sanctify you and cleanse you and as he prayed in John 17 sanctify my word is sanctifying and that's an act that we do but really the whole growth of that is because because it's a gift from God so faith is a gift that makes it possible to believe So we get a week later we find them here 8 days later in verse 26 his disciples were inside again And Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Okay. 
here's Thomas, they're behind locked doors. Now, does that make you kind of think if these uh, disciples that were there, the, you know, the week before, and they saw Jesus appear right in their midst behind locked doors, and he's saying, peace be with you, peace be with you, and all this stuff. And, and yet, here we go a whole week later, and same thing's happening, and the doors are still locked. Does it make you kind of wonder, well, how much are they really getting this, right? <laughs> okay, so Thomas isn't quite so bad here. I mean, there's still a lot of, of, of not sure what they need to do there, okay? Maybe they were a little bit waning in their belief. Who knows? We don't know. But, but there's Jesus. He's meeting with them again. And um, again, together meeting. I want to make the emphasis. It's so important. We meet together, Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've got to open our churches back up. We've got to get together. We've got to get our kids back into youth group. We've got to meet together. Okay. So he's there amongst them again, and he directly talks to Thomas. And, all, and they're all watching this too. And seeing what's going on. And Jesus addresses Thomas. And he is giving him the assurance that he had asked for to look at his wounds. Look at my wounds. This is a good reminder for us when we take the Lord's Supper to remember what he did for us, to look at Christ's wounds. I am sorry about this little puffy puffy. To look at Christ's wounds, to look at the sacrifice that he did, his death on the cross and his resurrection when we take the Lord's Supper, because it reminds us of his love, of his sacrifice, of his resurrection, of his victory. His wounds ground us back into what it's really like. And to, t- and to practice that on a, on a weekly, daily, whatever you do, um, is, we're commanded to do that. Um, so here he is, looking at, looking at my wounds. And not just Thomas, the others were there just kind of watching what was going on too. Maybe they also touched, who knows? We don't even know if he actually touched there or if he just visibly saw it and said, here it is. That may have been enough. It may have been enough that he says to them, See this, do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, there it is. That's a commandment. Jesus is telling him, do not disbelieve, but believe. I think that is, those are the words that he needed to hear from his Savior. Not so much the scene, but he needed to be in that, in that interaction with Jesus and hearing the words saying, you know, don't disbelieve. You need to believe. And he told Thomas to move from doubt and unbelief to faith. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I've already read Ephesians 8 and 9, but I want to emphasize 10 now. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So every single person in this room has a list of works that have been prepared for us, assigned to us before the foundations were laid. And we are to work out those works. We are, that's our job that we need to do here. It's not a, a, a secret. He's not hiding from us. He will speak to us through his spirit and let us know what we need to do. This is what he will equip us to do. So just like our salvation is a gift from God, being able to fulfill the works that he has given us to do, those are gifts from God too. Some have the gift of hospitality. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of healing. Some, you know, have the There's, They're just part of the body, the body of Christ, the, the church with a capital C, We all have works to do. Thomas needed to believe that Jesus raised from the dead because that's a big part of our salvation. Did up to this point, was he really considered a believer? Well, I think he was, but he just hadn't fully, fully grasped what the whole um, redemption thing was. If Peter, Peter, if Thomas never believed that Jesus rose from the dead, he probably was an unbeliever because he, it needs to go to the whole, the whole thing needs to happen. In Romans 10, 9 to 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. They go together. Jesus is Lord and Savior and resurrected from the dead. So he needed to. He needed to believe that part of our redemption. Um, Philippians 2.13 also reminds us that God is is working in us. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who puts it in us, even the desire to do something good. That'll humble us, won't it? That'll knock it right out of our knees and, you know, (laughs) there ain't nothing good in us. No, nothing. But the fact that Jesus Christ has called us and has given us his spirit to give us even the desire to do the right thing and equip us to work it out. Faith is a gift that makes it possible to believe and possible to live a life for him. All right, the last two verses here. So Jesus has basically commanded him to believe. And Thomas answered him immediately. I want to say immediately there, but it's not in there. He answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was not reprimanding Thomas. What he was doing was allowing us today to read, to 
that they had that experience and John was able to write down what that experience in that room was so we can believe, to help us more with our belief. He wasn't scolding Thomas at all. Thomas's response, um, he was acknowledging even more than a physical resurrection. He didn't just say, oh, yeah, okay, you did. I guess you did rise from the dead. But what he calls Jesus his, my Lord and my God, he is acknowledging the fact that this is the whole thing. It gives us the ability to just comprehend who Jesus is in the bigger scope, okay? He's interacting. with. He sees Jesus. He hears Jesus. He maybe touched Jesus, but he did a verbal declaration of a broader truth, a deeper understanding, a stronger faith than even just, oh, he rose from the dead. So in reality, Thomas's faith and his encounter, that one-on-one with Jesus, took it even deeper to anything else. And I would like to think that some of the other disciples in that room also went along with that and just acknowledged, you know, just the joy, just the outbursting of, of truth that was in that room. Spurgeon, one of my favorite old guys, says this about Thomas's declaration. It was a devout expression of holy wonder. It was an expression of immeasurable delight. It indicates a complete change of mind, total flip. It was an enthusiastic profession of allegiance to Christ. It was a distinct and direct act of adoration and worship. Thomas was able to get the full meaning of the resurrection, not just believe it happened, but he grasped the full meaning of the resurrection. Now, Jesus' response to what he says here in verse 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Evidence to believe the truth. It's basically the truth. And this word, God's word, the Bible, is, is the truth. It can be a testimony of Reliable witnesses, sometimes that's not enough. Anyone, no one who's ever read the word of God, and they hear about what Jesus does, what God's done, whatever. And it, you know, but usually when you have a testimony, when you're sharing scripture or whatever, you use, you use the word of God to reveal the truth. So the blessings for those who accepted the sufficient evidence of scripture... There's no need to demand anything else. If this isn't enough, well, this is enough. This is enough. But it's God who opens up to us and reveals in our heart, in our mind, what the truth is in this. Now, we're all being sanctified. I just read you some verses about we are God's workmanship. He who began a good work in us will complete us. Okay, we're all being transformed into the image of Christ. And so our part of this is the obedience to act on our faith. Because it's a working together. It's both of us working together. God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, he's prompting us. And we can say, no, no, no. I told you this morning that that verse, that song that we sang just as I am was one that I walked forward to when I was 11. But I did not tell you that for months before I actually did that, 
And we sang that every, we sang that every, how many, you sang, I mean, there was a lot more that sang the intro. For months before I went forward, this was me, white knuckle on the few in front of me. There is no way, no way I was going to go up there, right? <laughs> but then finally I yielded to his will and, um, and, I, and I went forward. Um, it's, it's his gift. It's his, we are his workmanship. We have to make a choice to go along with him. Um, so back to my donkey. His senses, if I'm wanting him to go someplace, and he's not sure he wants to go there, he's got the big ears, he's got the big nostrils, he's got the eyes, he's got the senses, better than me, better hearing, better smell, better eyes than me, to see if that's an okay place to go. But if he's not sure he's going to go, he's not going to go. A key thing that comes into play is his relationship with me. With me. Because we use the donkey for equine-assisted psychotherapy and try to get kids and people to move the donkey. They can't move the donkey. The donkey doesn't really know them that well, move the donkey. But I'll get in there, and I need to move the donkey. And I just go over my voice, my touch, my with him. We're going to go do this together. And I just put my arm around his little neck there and scratch him. And I kind of, and he doesn't quite go yet. It's kind of like Janie and her dog this morning with the healing, you know, right there. Um, so it's like, okay, and it's like, okay, and I have to back up again. Okay, we're going to go again. Okay, second start. Okay, here we go. Oh, good. Okay. Um, but it's the relationship with me that is probably the final thing that makes him say, okay, I'm going to go with you. And it's a relationship with God, too, that makes us finally go, okay, I can do this. I'm not sure what's over there. I'm not sure where we're going. I'm, I'm not sure. But I know that you've asked me, and we're going together, and I'm willing to do that. Now, I just want to wrap it up with this one thing. I honestly believe that the word of God is written and put together divinely. And I know we tapped on verses 30 and 31 early on. But to me, it really flows right here. It really flows. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is in here for us to believe. This experience with Thomas is in here for us to be able to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that by believing in that, that we will be saved. And it just goes back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And word is truth. It's a expression of it's an expression of God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why this story about Thomas is in here, so that we may believe and be saved. So faith is a gift that makes us believe, that enables us to believe, makes it possible to believe. I'm going to end with this little benediction from Hebrews. Um, Hebrews 13, 20, 21. I'm going to read it while we close our eyes. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Thank you, Almighty God, that you have given us this promise, that you are our Lord and our Savior, that you love us enough that you have given us work to do and equipped us for that work. May you just fill us and help it all glorify you. In the name of Jesus, amen.